0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Booklist's Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right in your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on our journey through all things bookish and library land. Talking to patrons about books is one of those things that seems so simple until you try to do it and you realize, oh, wait, this is much more complicated than I thought. You have to know about books, first of all, and not just some nebulous concept of books. You have to know about specific titles that suit a wide range of tastes and be able to recall those titles in conversation. And speaking of a wide range of tastes, you have to understand what that means. What does it mean to like a book? What does liking a reading experience tell us about what we might want in our next read? So there are principles of Reader's Advisory to understand, as well as conversation skills you have to develop. It's really complicated! I spoke to Jessica Trotter of the Capital Area District Libraries in Michigan about how she gets her staff ready to Reader's Advise. It takes a lot of training, and she's got a system in place to keep folks up to speed. Then, audio editor Heather Booth talks to Michelle Cobb, executive director of the Audiobook Publishers Association, about what goes into the Audi Awards. Finally, I talked to Books for Youth senior editor Ronnie Curry about what he's reading and loving right now. Before we get to all that, though, a word from some friends. Want to share that great Booklist Reader's advisory content with your patrons? Now it's easy with Booklist Reader, a selection of backlist book lists and best ofs designed with your patrons' reading needs in mind. Want to know the best book group books? Booklist Reader has a list. Looking for great middle grade graphic novels? There's a list for that. What about the best mysteries and thrillers on audio? You better believe Booklist Reader has a list for that, too. Best of all, the titles featured are already on your shelves, so no need for frustrating holds cues. Booklist Reader is included with your subscription to Booklist, so you can share this digital magazine on your library's website or in newsletters. Find Booklist Reader on booklistonline.com reader hyphen issues and start sharing the great Reader's Advisory content with your patrons today. Hi, Jessica.
1: Hello.
0: Thank you for joining me. And I'm speaking with Jessica Trotter from the Capital Area District Libraries in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to talk about Reader's Advisory Training with you. So you're in charge of the Reader's Advisory Training at your library. How did this system-wide effort come about? It was a long kind of process.
1: I came to cattle from a System that had training, uh-huh. to a system that didn't have training, but had the kind of a it was sort of a grassroots among the staff. We wanted to okay. kind of get everybody on the same page. So it was a kind of step by step process. Within about a year of me starting there, we finally kind of gotten approval to have a readers advisory committee that worked with sort of marketing and programming, but it was and slowly built up support. To finally say, and it wasn't until about 2013 that we wanted to have people to have a, a set of core competencies in mm-hmm. readers advisory. And we jumped big at the time. We were we 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 tried something basically saying this is a catch up spot for everybody. So we're we are actually going to do a really detailed year-long set of exercises and trainings and things like that. Everybody felt it was too much. Yeah. And we've sort of, we've been going back and forth and we, we did dial it back there, but we've had certain things that we've required all the way through. But the core part of it now is that we do do new hire. Part of our new hire training is now Reader's Advisory 101. And then there are things that everybody has to do every year. Great. Just to kind of keep up.
0: Yeah. So who gets trained? Is it librarians? Is it all the frontline it's, staff?
1: So it's... Mandatory for library assistants up. Okay. So our LAs, our library uh, staff, librarians, branch li- branch heads are all supposed to be trained in reader's advisory. Everybody else has the option, with permission from their supervisors, to attend any of the trainings, and some are totally allowed to do that and and participate too and other things.
0: Nice. So that means that your circ staff is is trained or isn't. Is necessary. not generally. Um okay. they there are that's the optional. That's the optional. Cool. So talk about these core competencies. What what are some of the things that folks are expected to be able to do?
1: Well, at the very heart of it, and it's part of it is literally with me coming from one system to another and saying, Okay, we don't do we don't even you know, nobody lays out their books the same way at, from library to library. Mm-hmm. As much as we're all librarians, you know, we, some people pull out genres, some people don't. Some people have different genres than others.
0: Oh, you um, mean the shelving wise? Yeah, just oh, just so
1: just, so having a conversation with it, it, and it's on patron side or you know staff side, having a conversation and being on the same page about where the book. I came from a system where John Grisham was in, like, the mystery section, and mm-hmm. I now work in a system where legal thrillers are all in fiction.
2: Oh. Just a quirk yeah. to what
1: happened in the way things happened and how much we don't want to recatalog things.
0: Right. But it's yes. just
1: sort of... <laughs> but there are lots of quirks like that going from system to system. And, yeah. you know, And patrons don't necessarily, or members
0: don't necessarily know... know any of that to begin with. But. Right. They just learn where Don Grisham is. Yeah. But you want him to be in the same place in every branch.
1: Ideally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Between our branches. Yes. Certainly. Right.
0: <laughs> right. So that was one of the things that you worked toward was.
1: Just kind of uniform of our genres. And understanding, you know, doing a basic readers advisory interview with somebody. Mm-hmm. Which was, we jumped off from. So you don't obviously need. Or maybe not. Obviously, you do not need a library degree to be a library assistant. Yeah, that that's a minimum as a as a bachelor's degree. So you don't have any kind of necessarily readers advisory training. And quite honestly, my background is as an archivist. I uh-huh. had no readers, li- readers' advisory training coming into public libraries. I oh. just happened to be a really avid reader. Yeah. So walking into this and not having that background myself, that meant. How do I find out more about this? What do I need to know? We talk about the tools that we have. so we early on, we campaign to get novelists and and keep novelists. and yeah. so that's something that we everybody needs a little bit of training on. And then we there's a limit to how much time we're allowed for the training, but really getting them started on things and getting them the chance to try these different tools that we do have or things that we, we have sort of a a links list of things people can play with or find out more information that we keep Mm -hmm. updated.
0: So what, if, if there is such a thing, what does a typical RA training class look like? We do have something called RA 101
1: um, Uh that we walk through just the basic RA interview, how to kind of keep a conversation going? Different kind of ideas of questions to ask people who are where it's a little harder to get information. An idea of what our what our genres are and how we got there, so mm-hmm. they understand our layouts. A walk through on some of the tools that we um, use, and then they actually all have to come out of the their first year having done a certain set of exercises, including that course. That's one of four. We right. have a system-wide chat that's readers advisory specific so you can throw up your hands and say look I need help this is what they're looking for do you have any ideas mm-hmm. that's pretty well responded to so they have to use that once they have to do a kind of a we have we require people to do staff picks in the okay. hopes that that makes them think about kind of how they're how they would pitch a book to a person, right. So everybody's required to do four a year, regardless of their uh, where they are in their time at the library. And then as an added thing and sort of as a prep for a program that we would love everybody to volunteer for, not necessarily that they do, but just to give them an idea, is that we have a form-based reader's advisory service. Mm-hmm. So that members can fill out a form, tell us what they like, what they don't like, and we'll respond within about a week with a um, email full of titles or authors for them. So they have to do a, that's the last thing they have to do is sort of just the training version of that and, and take the form to a friend or a coworker.
0: Right. And get, tell them. us how you would answer that. Yeah. That's what I always, when I did reader's advisory training, I was always encouraging people to practice on people they knew. Yes, it's like exactly. lower the stakes, but you got to practice. Yes. Or you're not going to get it's much kind of
1: it. talking about it within our encouraging people to talk about it in our staff meetings, what we're reading and that sort of thing. And, you know, we, we've we tried to keep it, conversations going in other ways as well, but that's what the formal training part is. And everybody's asked afterwards to continue the four staff picks and we ask them to be broad, not all. At right, not for John Grisham. I, I, well, I actually ended up having to say, no, They they love me for this, no picture books, period. Oh! I would do four picture books from everybody who didn't want to do it in December at the end of the year when everything was due. Yeah. So I just and I will never catch up on picture. They can do anything they want over and above the four. But right. I, but no picture book. Do
0: they have to do adult books, or so? Do you do training for all
1: ages? You or do some just training. Like? Yep. Yeah, no training for all ages. So the actual, we ended up, and I'm going to blank on what the actual um, boxes are we more recently within the last couple of years we asked people to do we really were wanted to focus people on reading a little bit more broadly or being able to do a staff pick that you can you can do a staff pick without fully reading a book and yes we we have that discussion as well but we asked them to do sort of out of there's four boxes and something within that category you have to do one of each so it's one of them has sort of Other media, so an audiobook, a music CD, Mm -hmm. a a book on on music downloadable or music or movie. Another one has YA and certain fiction, and one has children's, but not picture books. Right. Sort of, yeah. So asking them to, we also have been trying to have people at least think about and be more mindful about diverse materials throughout this collection, the collection, and Positively recommending materials
0: to that way. So, mm-hmm. I love that you do audiovisual stuff too. Mm-hmm. So, is that is that part of your training where you're like these are some particular skills that you'll need for? Yes, talking about music, talking about movies. Yeah, I kind of have to
1: start off all of our, and I probably should have this way too. But our mm-hmm. readers' advisory is sort of a misnomer in that we really want people to be able to talk about know how to talk about movies and music as well Mm -hmm. and their and audiobooks and you know and our you know whatever other materials that might supplement what the reader is looking for or the person is looking for so we do yes we actually am more apt I mentioned it in the 101 but we have periodically do trainings for the other materials as well Mm -hmm. as part of um, other we always have a few workshops a year mixed in, um, which we're now getting better about recording and saving for people Good. to get through. Um and being able to kind of assign those out that way when needed. So that's another thing that yeah we have done.
0: So who who does the training? Is it you? Is it just you or no? I'm I am the primary
1: 101 trainer. We actually do have a reader's advisory committee that is about eight to 10 people generally, including a couple of our management team members and people from the branches as well as a couple of people like the rest of my collection development team is on it too but we have a couple of i have two or three other people who will do the actual resource advisory training as a fill-in but mostly i'm doing it at this point at the yeah. at that first new hire
0: training right so what does it look like when you're doing a like a catch-up not catch-up class, but like a refresh course or like one of your non-101 classes, your 201s?
1: We are doing, so we kind of work through a few topics or figure out that we need to look at another thing. So we've done kind of internal book talks and talks around diverse materials. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've done, the the most recent one we did was on underrepresented people. People with disabilities, people invisible disabilities or challenges in particular, because those are harder to find through our catalog. As yeah, we're kind of working on that. That's that's it's still just the hardest thing to find. And then, I mean, physical disabilities as well. We keep talking about, but have not, in general, so far, gotten into the habit of doing genre studies. That's something we we mm-hmm. we haven't quite figured out how to do comfortably with our staff we have as a separate thing we have a separate inclusivity group team within cattle that has started a book discussion that and one of our members our committee members are part of and part of this book discussion group that is an optional thing for staff we have a lot of optional trainings as well yeah but we do do sorry to back to actually your question we do a set of usually a at least a spring workshop and a fall workshop, and it might be media advisory, just two hours focused on DVDs, music. It might be display, and and
0: passive, um, yeah. advisory. Gotta so. do that. Mm-hmm. So, how have folks responded to the training? Is it pretty positive or? It is
1: pretty positive. Sense? It's such a huge difference from when I started to now. It, the granted it's been a long time but it's such a core part of the system now
0: yeah it, i mean it's been it's
1: really years really, right yeah and, and and that's what we were going for that was really what we wanted my predecessor in my position was sort of really pushed with me and there was a good grip core group of other people that really pushed to get this going and and actually at the time my current director was the training coordinator so he really went to bat for us and 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 has kept that mentality as, as director now too. So that's been great. It's, it's just been, it is such a core part of the system. I think people coming in don't necessarily, if they haven't worked in libraries, don't quite get it to begin mm-hmm. with, but they get it pretty quickly afterwards.
0: Yeah, And it yeah, gives
1: the readers a chance to just really
0: jump into things too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I always thought it was the most fun part because you get to talk about books but not every i
1: mean when i was a supervisor not all of my people read and and yeah i I didn't kind of get that to begin with but but they all had their things and 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 kind of understanding that and figuring out how to make that work and make them understand that this was important too right they get
0: it and and they figured it out right because it's a big collection and there's (laughs) Mm-hmm. there's a lot yeah. so as long as you're a human being you're probably interested in something the library carries I mm-hmm. can probably talk about it
1: yeah well and that's what we talk about especially with the staff picks you get people who are very like well nobody reads what I read you yeah wrong. somebody definitely is. somebody read does
0: read. I had somebody say that to me she's like I only read books by like Tori Spelling <laughs> and I'm like first of all that's amazing and second of all of course like those books are always checked out yeah yes so you never know You also told me about an internal newsletter you do, and I I wanted to talk about what sort of like passive training things you have going on besides the newsletter, and and if you could talk a little bit about what goes into the newsletter.
1: So the newsletter actually jumped out of a – it came – it was, I think, a discussion out of one of those display trainings, Mm -hmm. Um, and people are like, well, I just – I'm kind of trying to figure out how to stay on top of what's going on, and and you know our first answer is, please walk up and down your shelves. Please check out right. Your, you know, really haunt your new shelves in particular. You know, yes, in, in and out. If you're in the position where you can check out books or shelving books, you're going to be seeing what's coming in and out and what people mm-hmm. are interested in. But on top of that, we decided, and I think at this particular training our marketing director has actually participated. He he wanted to be part of the program and we kind of got into a discussion about how do we kind of make sure everybody is aware of the programming, the central messaging being sent out mm-hmm. versus what's just happening in the branches and kind of, you know, you can do both. We can, we can support um, that central messaging in inter- you know, at the branches. If, if it's, i think this month is love your library we're we're celebrating our 25th anniversary and and oh. playing a number of different themes and you know making sure that we're doing kind of something at both the you know our social media and whatever branding marketing is putting out as well as at our branches and then within the newsletter we're also saying and here's some titles to think about to add in here's some different angles you know it doesn't have to be all your romances. It can be can be talking about relationships. We can mm-hmm. be talking, we can kind of be quirky and do well. Actually, it is hard health month. So it isn't quirky, but you can do you oh. know kinds of things too. It's you know, making sure that people think outside of the box, p- making sure that people remember you can mix and match formats on a display. Yes. Or here's these new titles, because we'll put we'll each put in a page of new just covers of new things that people might want to be aware of. And we have gone out of our way kind of to find, to make sure we're getting um, a diverse mix of titles in there Mm -hmm. as well for people to see. So things that might otherwise get lost in the mix.
0: Yeah, And covers are so important Mm -hmm. just to build up that familiarity with the collection. Mm -hmm. And it seems so such a minor thing, you know, just look at book covers, just walk around and look at book covers, but Mm -hmm. Gosh! As soon as somebody asks you a question about a book, you're going to be like, "I remember this cover and I remember the title." Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love it. So, and then within there, we also put, you know, we let people know if there's training opportunities online or internal that they might be interested in. And I'm always sort of pitching, pitching library reads and and arcs yes. and things like that. It's just just as a way to we have avid readers who are looking for things and I still get physical arcs every once in a while. Not as much as used we used to, but still we right. get physical arcs that I will pass on to them.
0: If, and so I'll let them know what I have sometimes. Cool. I, I mean, the first time I learned about arcs, the advanced reader copy, I was so excited. I was like, is mm-hmm. there anything cooler than getting a book before it even comes out? Exactly. I love it. I love introducing <laughs> people to that concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what are your favorite training tools or or the most useful things that you teach folks about? So we always do, are you thinking about resources
1: or are you thinking about?
0: Well, resources, resources that you teach people about and also resources that you use to build your training.
1: Oh, God,
0: we've done everything kind of ourselves.
1: When we started, I think we we leaned heavily on Sarek's work. Mm-hmm. Joy Sarek's, formerly Sarics. of Booklist. Yes, yep. And I mean, that's where- I when I finally did take a readers advisory class it was it was an online one with Joyce so yeah. and my again my predecessor was sort of the um Michigan's readers advisory guru for 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 her time and 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 so that we were really working with her and her ideas mm-hmm. but going forward we use a lot of we we're a Microsoft Teams library now uh uh-huh. so we and actually managed to we were sort of up on it right ahead of the pandemic so one oh, of the good. things that i had actually created like maybe in december or january uh december 2019 or january 2020 was a a readers advisory team that everybody was sort of in everybody was invited to um so we created a resource library within that um we run some of our um readers advisory programs so the 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 form-based readers advisory mm-hmm. uh service sort of the back end runs off of that we have a social media once a month event that also runs out of it but we just we just kept sort of building a library of some of our training videos are now there mm-hmm. uh, we have a sort of a kind of going into what we knew was going to be kind of curbside only during the uh, worst of the pandemic, yeah. we sort of realized that a lot of people were going to be dealing with reader's advisory in a different way. Mm-hmm. We're going to get call-ins and, and try to work with people that way. So we created scripts that we'd never done before. Uh, people threw together when asked, like a favorites list. We, these are the links that I use. These are the places that I go for more training or more information about genres. This is, it might be like the... Um, the earlier novelist crash courses, or mm-hmm. different things that Becky Spatiford has posted, or stuff like you know, we we just people as a group. Um, and again, because it had become such a core thing for the system, I had a buy-in from a lot of different people. We created a document that is sort of shared there that is a resource list for people coming in that I now point out. Yeah, and then we work through. You know, I give them a highlight of novelists. Um, there's mm-hmm. a few other sites that we point out, not because just because we keep coming back to them, even though there's other sites out there that actually probably have more bells and whistles. But we, as a group, we tend to use, you know, flick back to like Fantastic
0: Fiction. I was just going to say know, Fantastic Fiction. Yes. Look, it's simple, but yes. It- I I use Fantastic Fiction all the
1: time. We would get, it It just seemed, it was one of the easiest things. Like my branch, I had a couple of people that would come in and fairly religiously say, I'm going to read this person's entire backlist. Yeah. I could get the cleanest list for them of everything Diana Palmer ever wrote
0: because they wanted it all. So is there anything else that you want to share about what you train any any lessons you learned that you wish you had done differently or something that has worked particularly well for you that you think someone starting a training program should know i
1: will say that we are right now kind of in the position of we had we we, a very few people are doing a lot of things that happens every year yes we needed we kind of need more bodies just to, just as backups and um it, so that in periods where maybe there's more turnover the trainers aren't getting burnt out yeah and overwhelmed by the time out of their actual jobs so that was that's that's something we're kind of dealing with right now is sort of figuring out the balance
0: of of time of spent me. training versus yep, time spent doing the job you are supposed to be doing. Yes, <laughs> so training is still sort of considered an extra thing, like an other duty as a sign. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, it's not actually my job, and I really, really do need to order the books.
0: Right, sure, <laughs> that thing. that little thing.
1: <laughs> but it's not. It, it's 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 not a. We don't have. We've had training coordinators, but we've never had people who are, with maybe one exception, and that person can't do everything. Mm-hmm. We we've never really had any trainers on staff, so we are pulling from all of them, and we are pulling people who are overly involved. Right, right? sort of broadening that out is or thinking about how this is going to work going forward is sort of where we are now. It's, we probably are had, we probably passed the worst in terms of the glut of training, but it still has sort of put everybody in mind of, okay, what do we do? We can't, we just need to balance this out a little bit better, especially as we actually have had um, branch staff requesting different types of training on top of this um, not that they want to get rid of anything. They just think, oh, can we add more to it? And it's sort yeah. of like, um, can we be creative in other ways Uh we, when we started this, we didn't have the ability to record a training and ask somebody to watch it. So yeah. kind of looking at that, that's huge as, as another way of doing maybe some of the, you, ha- everybody does the one-on-one, but some of the extra stuff you do do the recording for and, you know, just make sure that you report back that you've seen it in some way.
0: Right. Prove it. Prove that you watched it. Cool. So uh, that's so exciting. I mean, I just I feel like training staff to do readers advisory makes such a it's it's a ton of work Mm because there's a ton of content that they have to learn and absorb. Mm -hmm. But it's so important and it makes the library experience so much richer for patrons. So Mm -hmm. keep on doing the good work.
1: We're going to try.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's the plan. Good. So before we go, I want to ask you the most important question, which is what What have you been reading and loving lately?
1: I am. I was able to kind of step back and do some catch up briefly, and I'm behind. On I have been fairly religiously reading the JD Robb books. Oh, um, so I have back. I'm not caught up. I'm I'm a book, book back. Has anyone so ever caught thing. up? How
0: many are there now? Fifty two.
1: 50 uh, something yeah. I think it's more than 52 I don't know
0: I read the first one
1: I've i read I'm all way behind I'm 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 one behind
0: oh that's good but I House Rour- is Rourke still going strong oh god yes okay definitely good most important uh, thing exactly but I
1: really loved and want everybody to know about in the upper country by Kai Thomas mm-hmm. Um, new historical came out last month it looks at it's sort of it's set about 1830s, maybe, and it is, this story starts in Canada, sort of right across the border from Detroit mm-hmm. uh, in Ontario, and it opens with a woman being called to doctor. Somebody's been shot, and she's called in to doc- to help, and when she gets there, the person's dead, and it's a white man, and this is a Black woman in a mostly black community. And it's basically a person who has been, who's come across the border to take back escaped slaves. Mm. And she's like, you should be hiding the body, not calling me in to do any doctoring. What are we doing here? And he basically, the person who had called her in, basically says, look, I actually want you here because I want you to tell the story. And it's an older woman has committed the murder. Uh And there's a story that she they want told to ideally maybe sway her trial basically but the woman and the woman ends up going to the jailhouse to talk to the accused woman and it becomes instead of the woman telling her her story it becomes a i'll tell you a story if you tell me a story and it goes back and forth and it starts to weave together a really interesting and neat background that they're closer related than they realize.
0: And That's what was the title of that one again?
1: In the Upper Country. And it okay. kind of moves back and forth between Tucky and all the way up to Ontario um, as family members are taken and and escaped and slavery. And the War of 1812 plays a bit into it as well. And so it's
0: really interesting. That's amazing. That sounds really good. And we'll, um, I'll put the title and some of the resources we talked about. I'll make sure they're in the show notes so folks can look it up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I've got. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Jessica. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yay. And good luck with all your training and, and other duties. Yep. Well, we, your, your main we'll duties, just, I guess. Whatever we get done, we get done. And Other then, duties so, as assigned. We're, we're doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you for chatting and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi-Daraj and Siman Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq. Or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Happy listening!
3: All right, I am Heather Booth, the Booklist audio section editor, and I'm here today with Michelle Cobb, who is the executive director of the Audio Publishers Association. And we're here to talk about the Audis. So if you're not familiar with the Audis yet, the Audis are a fantastic award in the audiobook community. Michelle, can you talk about what to look for for the Audis? What's the deal? Well,
2: the Audis definitely recognize the best of the best. We have 26 categories this year. So everything from young listeners for up to eight, all the way up to, you know, the most coveted award, which is Audiobook of the Year, which is you know the the audiobook that has an impact in terms of being a great recording and also has some sales and marketing oomph as we say.
3: So the audiobook of the year it could come from any genre any category isn't that right? That's correct in fact. So this year we've got a really wide variety of titles up for audiobook
2: of the year. Finding Me Violet Davis which she reads so that is an autobiography. We've got miracle and wonder conversations with Paul Simon, which talks about his life but is more of a Q and A as opposed to a straight autobiography. Uh, one of my favorite titles of the year, "Remarkably Bright Creatures" by Shelby Van Pelt, read by Marin Ireland and Michael Yuri playing an octopus, <laughs> and "Wake," which is a full cast recording. So there's really. A little bit of something for everyone. Oh, and the before I forget, the sixteen nineteen project. So that's again, you know, a full cast of narrators bringing together this kind of remarkable tale of of a lot of things that have happened in our history. It's it's called a new origin story for a reason.
3: Yeah, and that's I mean, it's just fascinating how it spans so many different types of recording. I feel like the audi shortlist that came out recently is just such a great uh, tool. Even without knowing who the winners are at this point, it's such a great tool for librarians or selectors in thinking about what's new, what's innovative, what might their patrons be interested in yeah. reading. Well, are there categories or trends in the audience that you think that librarians should particularly be aware of or know about? Well, we added erotica back, um,
2: so that it's been a while since we've done erotica. Uh, we we saw such a huge burst of romance submissions, and romance has been a, a very much a growing category. That's one of those pandemic holdovers, right? We couldn't go out and date, we couldn't, you know, meet new people. So we listened to a lot of romance. It was one of the fastest growing genres in 2021, and we saw the result of that in the submissions for the audis thus the, um, you know, return to the erotica category. One of the things I think we're seeing in general is a lot more multi-voiced productions. Now, there's two types of multi-voice. One is where you have the narrators not interacting. It's usually done by chapter or by section of a chapter. And then there's the full cast recordings, the dramatizations oftentimes, where they interact There's usually sound effects and music. And we're seeing that come into a more typical audiobook production now. So I think, in general, those things are happening. uh, And that's something to listen for. And one of my favorite funny things is, uh, you know, 2021, for the first time, Mystery Suspense Thriller was surpassed by science fiction fantasy Mm -hmm. as a top revenue generator. So, you know, I think people are... Looking for those long titles and science fiction fantasy. I say this everywhere because it's so true. I can't read those with my eyes. I have no idea how to pronounce those names, and I always feel like I'm skipping over it by putting like the first letter of the person's first name, you know, the character Z in my head instead of having this really interesting name that the author created. So by listening to, yeah, so the you know, the audio narrator is doing the work for me and telling me here's how you pronounce it. And in general, I think the the increase in authenticity of the narrators has been really interesting and helpful so that you are hearing more accents in audiobooks that are appropriate. You're really, you know, getting a sense of what a time and place sounds like from someone who has some of those lived experiences a lot of the time. Uh, and so... You know, I think we're just diversifying, and you can see from the lists like how diverse the the narrators are, how diverse the authors are. So, you know, that's a, a really exciting thing. And it, I think, helps librarians because there are so many more amazing choices that you can make and you can tailor to your constituency.
3: I think that's such a great point that you made about tailoring your constituency in addition to the increase of listenership and sales with genre audiobook when i was in libraries it seemed like a lot of the time the easy thing to do is just say this is what's on the new york times bestseller list let's get that on audio but um to know that people are seeking out audio for specific genres, i think is so interesting and such a useful piece of information so you've got just talking about categories you've got science fiction fantasy is that one category together it is yes yeah yeah And then you have romance, erotica. Are there any other like quirky categories that people could be like, oh, that's useful. And that's something that I haven't bought enough of for my collection yet. I would definitely
2: tell people to check out original work. So that's something that might not have a a book component, but it can be something that is really interesting. It's really made for the audio format so that I think... You know, provide some differences in what you're listening to, and you know, provide some diversity there as well.
3: And that miracle and wonder that that's an audio original, right? It is exactly.
2: And I should say when when you said science fiction and fantasy, so when we talk about the sales figures, those are together
3: in terms of the audience. Those are
2: two separate categories: science fiction and fantasy.
3: So something else that I thought was useful. We like you have things are like there's. Christian fiction, right, or inspirational? Yeah, it's it's actually not Christian.
2: It's you know it's inspirational, and it can be from a wide variety. It's faith based. It's mm-hmm. either fiction or nonfiction. And if you look at that category this year, got you know again some, some things that are very different, right? There is uh, McLeod Andrews reading a title called Dark Angel, right? So that's fiction, very different than uh, marriage be hard, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that people thought of that category at one time as being very Christian, but now I think it's, you know, faith comes in many different shapes and sizes. And because you've got fiction and nonfiction in there, it's a really interesting mix. That's so fascinating.
0: So how do you,
3: can you talk a little bit about how, titles end up on these, these on the shortlist? Like, how do we get to the point where we are right now? That's a great question. So we
2: actually go through multiple rounds of judging. So the first thing that happens is the publisher or the rights holder submits the title for consideration in a particular category. And uh, usually it's the correct category. Sometimes we'd have to fix that. <laughs> um, but it goes through uh, a series of judging challenges as it were the first round people are really listening for you know does this grab me is everything technically correct like is there something that would prevent this from being you know the top of the list and that has in each category three to five different judges listening to those and making those evaluations so then we come out with a group out of that we have another again three to five judges listening to a ton of listening. You know, we can have 100 plus books submitted into a category. So they're listening to that whole book and really evaluating, like, is this, again, something that should stand out? Finally, we go into the, you know, the top five in each category. Sometimes it's six if there's a tie. Um, Those go to the final round of judging. And again, it's another set of three to five judges who are listening. And those judges are often librarians, booksellers. So it's not people from within the industry. We're not an academy that is having peers decide. Uh, I don't think we would have enough time to listen to all those within, uh, within the industry. Um, so we turn to, you know, people that are heavy listeners and people who are generally not a part of the everyday workings of the industry to make those evaluations. Does the narrator do a good job? Are they, you know, serving the text well? Is the technicality, you know, technical piece of everything strong? Um, Do they really grab me? Is the direction good? You know, if they have sound effects and music, are those used in an appropriate way? All of those things are, um, are brought to bear. And, you know, if you win, then you know that, you know, between nine and 15 people have
3: said this is one of the,
2: you know, best audiobooks of the year.
3: That's fascinating. That's so great. So, it's quite a a process. It's not just one listen and done. Yeah.
2: No, yeah. And it starts, you know, we start people listening in July and they're
3: listening all the way through, you know, January, February. So, it's a little crazy. So, if our listeners are interested in um, being part of that and being an Audi judge, what would they do? So, um, there are periods of time where we have
2: a form on the audiopub.org where you can actually fill that out. Or you can send an email to audies at audiopub.org. The best time to do that is before July 1st to say, you know, that you're interested and give some qualifications. So we're looking for people that have done a lot of listening.
3: Yeah, that a lot of listening to so you can make those
2: make those judgments and comparisons. Exactly. You know, yeah. you understand, well, this narrator, the book is really interesting, but the narrator didn't necessarily rise all the way to the challenge, or you know, the book might not be my thing, but the performance is so good, the book suddenly felt like my thing. So it's it's really putting aside some of your own biases, but also um, just being able to evaluate how the performance is.
3: Yeah. So we do have some booklist reviewers who are sometimes Audie's judges who will take a break from reviewing for Booklist and do their audience. section. And then come back. So if you've done either of those things, if you've judged for the audience or if you've reviewed for book lists, you have the qualifications to probably bounce back and forth between between the two? Absolutely. So what should our listeners be attuned to heading into this the the actual awards? Like when are the awards? How will they learn about them? Yes. So
2: March twenty eighth. In New York City, we're actually going to be streaming on the Audio Publishers Association YouTube channel, so you can actually watch live. Additionally, we'll have social media going throughout um, the in-person event that'll be telling us what the winners are. Our website will update as well, and there'll be a press release. So hopefully, lots of news. But if you follow audiobooks on Twitter, Facebook, you know, LinkedIn, what's our other one? Instagram, then uh, I'm sure you can uh, keep on top of that. Or just go to audiopub.org and to the Audies page and find that.
3: Very cool. So we will look forward to March 28th. Anything else you want our listeners to know about the Audies? Before we we'll sign, just we're always thrilled to have
2: librarians listening to great audiobook titles and recommending them. Um, you are
3: our link to the consumers, so thank you for all that you do. Yeah. And they can find out any information they want at audiopub.org. Is that right? Audi- That's correct. Audiopub.org. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. You have like so many jobs in the audiobook industry. I don't want to say a little more of your time. You must have like 15 other things you have. To-
2: <laughs> I think next up I have to speak to the lawyers. So this
3: is much more engaging. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't let we can't that way. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Again, this is Heather Booth. The audio section editor at Booklist, talking to Michelle Cobb, the Executive Director of the Audio Publishers Association, all about the audience. Thank you so much.
0: Hi, Ronnie. Hi, Susan. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing okay. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. <laughs> but more importantly, I'm doing I'm curious about what you're reading and loving these days.
4: Okay, I can talk about that. Please do. Always. Oh, uh, let's see. This is kind of a middle grade year for me, which is nice because last year I don't want to call it disappointing, but I didn't I didn't fall in love last year with with any middle grade, I don't think. But I've already hit on some good ones this year. There's a really nice trend actually that is growing in the middle grade space. Which is what we call upper middle grade, which is like ages 10 to 14.
0: Uh huh. It's like too young for YA.
4: And it's kind of the in between. So, like, because it's in between, like, mar- the marketers have been slow to sort of catch on to it and create a category for it, but it's, it's kind of creating itself right now. Um, and it's always been my favorite categories because that's kind of the age that I started loving reading and that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, one book that falls in that that I read recently is from Levine Quirida, who I'm always raving about. I feel like that's the only publisher I ever talk about. Hopefully they're sponsoring this episode. The book is The Many Assassinations of Samir, the Seller of Dreams. Ooh. Right? Yeah. I mean, the title kind of tells it all. Of course, you have to back up that title, and the book does, which is which is impressive in itself. Yeah. But it's this really... It's it's by Daniel Nayeri, who who won the Prince a couple of years ago for "Everything Sad Is Untrue," which was widely beloved. So he's he's kind of a a kidlit literary darling right now. So this book probably will get a lot of attention, but it is sort of a historical, almost fairy taleish, Arabian knight esque story that takes place on the Silk Road in like the the eleventh century or something. And it starts with this boy who is is being stoned, presumably to death. Whoa! He's running for his life, and he's saved by this merchant Samir, who kind of essentially purchases. It. It's not it's not quite slavery or enslavement, but it's uh, he he bargains for the boy and saves his life, and so the boy becomes the apprentice to this merchant. But one of the first things you learn from the boy who's narrating is that he 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 kills the merchant. <laughs> uh, oh uh, yes. So uh, immediately just all, all kinds of weird tension. And what follows, because the merchant is this conniving, just despicable human being, he's made many enemies, and so it's a series of assassination attempts on this merchant's life, and the boy, hoping for to kind of purchase his own freedom, is trying to prevent those murders. Of course we know he's the one who eventually murders him. That's, it's really interesting. It's if you read Naeyer's last book, it's got it's it's written through the perspective of the boy who is this very kind of thoughtful kind of philosophical narrator, kind of like the the mm-hmm. last book you know. So it has this like it has so many layers of like thoughtfulness, a lot of action and, and kind of suspense and it's just like so tightly written. It's just, I just love it. It's, it's, it's everything I love about that category and that author. Now,
0: yeah, it sounds epic.
4: It is epic, and I, it's definitely going to be on on award watch lists. I think so.
0: That sounds like a thrilling
4: book. It's thrilling, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a piece of art. Nice. Shall I, shall I keep going? Keep
0: going. If you've got more, let's keep going.
4: Look, other than me can always keep going. Another kind of similar category different tone i just read a book called dear mothman
0: oh i love mothman
4: yeah the the, the popular cryptid it's actually a pretty sad book but it's interesting to me so it's a novel in verse i believe the author is robin Gow. i'm pretty sure we'll look
0: it up and, and make sure it's right in the show notes so
4: but it's a novel in verse about a boy whose best friend has just died. And it's it's all kind of epistolary. It's mostly epistolary. So he's writing letters to Mothman because his friend, who has died so much death in the books that I'm enjoying right yeah, now. Yeah, heavy. <laughs> his friend was a big Mothman believer. And they had this project that they were going to do together, a science project to kind of prove Mothman's existence. But it's remarkable in that they're both trans boys, mm-hmm. which is... P- Uncommon in general, but in middle grade, especially uncommon. It's it's becoming a little more common, but mm-hmm. um, uh, that adds a cool, uh, layer to it. Uh, he's also autistic, which you don't again, you don't see much of, but that's not the focus of the story as well, which which I appreciated. So it's really about grief and and figuring out how to cope with it while you're sort of discovering yourself, and it's just it is it is sad, but as a novel in verse, the poetry is really beautiful. And it really ramps, like, it really ramps up into a kind of exciting, because this kid is trying to meet Mothman. And you really don't know as you're reading, if in the the world of this book, if Mothman is going to be real or not. Yeah. Uh, Little hints that indicate that it might be, or it could be something else that is kind of creepier. I don't want to spoil it, but it does take you on this really cool journey that is, by the end, just hits all kinds of different notes of just emotional and exciting and and just really lovely language. Again, upper middle grade.
0: It's killing it.
4: That's where it's at. Yeah, That
0: sounds like the kind of book I would like to read when I was younger because it has an element of kind of angst to it. And so even though I didn't go through anything that serious when I was young of like losing a best friend. I just feel like it would really capture my imagination to to you know to try to imagine something that serious happening to something so someone so young. It's sort of like in my quest to grow up. I wanted to feel those big feelings.
4: Right, that's why I love that category because, and that's why I think it's what got me into reading when I was when I was young because it's just I think you know kids get treated often like they can't deal with certain certain content. I certainly yes, can
0: now, especially that's yeah, so a For
4: Sure. Well, yes, that, that's another sort of angle on that. Right. Um, but even just sort of intense stories of grief or, or whatever it may be. Romance, more and more romance is showing up in middle grade, which I love. Those are the kind of things that really popped with me when I was a kid. So apparently I'm still in that mind space and it's still hitting me.
0: Yes. I love it. Booklist keeps us young. It does. That's that's how I'll, that's how I'll look at it. <laughs> well, um, we have time for one more if you've got one more.
4: The other one that's on my mind is a book called Indigo and Ida, and I did a, a sit down with the, Heather Murphy Capps, the author, for our Shelf Care interview, which just came out what yesterday, maybe <laughs> Yeah, two this one's contemporary again, upper middle grade, and it's this really cool story of a girl. Who is sort of standing is standing up for some social injustices, racial injustices in her school by running for, I think, class president. Mm-hmm. And in the process, she comes upon these letters from Ida B. Wells that inspire her to take action, but also parallel what she's going through. That's that's I think that's enough of a pitch. I we we kind of dig into the meaning behind it in our interview. Um, and I thought the book is really. I think important and really well done. And it's a debut as well, which is impressive. Nice. Uh, The interview, I think came out pretty great too. So you should give it a listen.
0: Yeah. It's going to be probably right before this one in the, in the podcast feed.
4: It is just scroll down one point.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, it's always a delight to talk to you, Ronnie. I, I, I don't, I barely ever read books for youth. And so it's exciting to get to see what's going on in that world.
4: It's my pleasure to share the good news of children's books.
0: (laughs) Good. Well, I appreciate your evangelism. (laughs) Of course. Thank you.
4: All right. Take care.
0: And that's it for this episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. Thank you to Jessica Trotter for sharing her insight into readers' advisory training, to Heather Booth and Michelle Cobb for chatting about the Audis, and to Ronnie Curry for sharing what he's been reading and loving. You can find the list of titles we discussed at booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care. If you like what you've heard, won't you consider rating and reviewing us on your nearest podcast app? That will help others find our bookish goodness. Thank you kindly, and happy reading!